Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Are you encouraged? I hope so, and I hope that you, uh, though we might feel a little pain today as we work through what we're going to be working through, that your heart will be encouraged and you'll be strengthened in your walk with the Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, which is where we are in our study, a continuation of the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And what I'd like to do to get started is just um, back up and start reading at verse 1 and read all the way through verse 12 so that we can get the bigger picture, because we're breaking it down verse by verse, but I still want you to keep the bigger picture in mind as we go forward, okay? So here we go, Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you've been with us um, throughout this series, then you've heard me say multiple times that these Beatitudes are doing two things. They show us the way into the kingdom, first of all, and then they're teaching us how to think in our hearts. It's a mistake to read these Beatitudes as a list of to-dos. In fact, the whole entire Sermon on the Mount. It's a mistake to look at them as saying, okay, Jesus just gave us 30 more commands, and if we just follow those commands, then we're gonna be right in his sight. That's what the people of the day thought, but that's not what Jesus' intention was. He's trying to show us the way into the kingdom and making sure we understand that that's the way into the kingdom. And then he's teaching us how to think in our hearts, which will transform our behavior into kingdom type of living. And what we've learned is that to enter the kingdom, you've got to be poor in spirit. That's how we started, which means that you become aware of your spiritual bankruptcy and you become aware of your sinfulness you become aware of the, of the requirement that sin holds, and that is death has to be paid for sin. And you become aware that without something helping you, without salvation, you're doomed to death in sin. And because you're aware of that, Jesus tells us that you will mourn over your sin. And it is that mournful mindset that is necessary for true repentance to happen in your heart, which is required for salvation and required for entrance into his kingdom. So, we've said this before, you come to God on your knees. You don't come to God all puffed up with yourself, like, I, I, final, I, I, I finished it, I figured it out, I know how to live so that you will love me. If you come to him that way, you're never going to find him. We only find him when we're humble and meek on our knees before him, void of pride and void of arrogance and void of self-reliance and void of self-righteousness which is what he was dealing with with the people of that day. And when we get to this place, 
The natural result is that you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And once you're in the kingdom and once you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit will give you a greater desire to hunger and thirst for God and his righteousness. But what we're seeing here, what we're learning is that Jesus is always putting the emphasis on what is inside because he knows that the fruit of righteousness produced in our hearts is what will result in what's coming out of our lives in the way that we live. Now, Jesus is concerned with the inside, but he's not unconcerned with our actions. They matter to him. You just need to hear that he's just more concerned with what's going on in our hearts and in our minds because he understands and he teaches us that the good that we do, that man does, is a result of the good that he has stored up in his heart. That's the righteousness that the Lord is looking for. It's a righteousness that comes from a heart attitude that has been changed and adjusted to be more like Jesus Christ. Can we do acts of righteousness? Can we do acts of righteousness without the strength and power of the Holy Spirit producing that from the good that we've stored up in our lives? Really? Can unsaved people do nice things? Can unsaved people serve other people? Mm -hmm. Can unsaved people sacrifice to save other people. But I want you to hear something. All of our righteousness, this is what the Bible tells us, all of our righteousness outside of a transformed heart motivating that righteousness is unrighteousness. It's filthy rags. It's not anything that's going to amount to anything for the kingdom either for you and your salvation or to do ultimate good in the world that we live in to draw people's hearts to the Savior. It's important that we understand that. Unsaved people, unregenerated people can do good things. In fact, the people that he was talking to here were the religious elite. They were the people that were following Jesus because they thought, oh, here's our way out of this this thing that's happening with Rome right now and this um, occupation that Rome has upon us, this is our way out. This Savior's gonna do something for us. And what Jesus is talking to them and, and will continue to talk to them about throughout this entire sermon and talk to our hearts about is this. Outside of a changed, transformed heart by my love and by my grace and through salvation and your repentance and emptying of yourself, all of your righteousness is filthy rags to me. It won't produce anything. In fact, the motivation for your righteousness, in particular with these people here he's talking to, the motivation for your righteousness is selfishness. You want to promote yourself, and so you're doing all these things that you think everyone will think better of you if you do. And in our language, in our world that we live in today, that's called legalism. And that's what Jesus is combating. He's talking to his disciples and addressing this issue that they had. 
See, they had legalism modeled for them from birth. Um, legalism is us controlling our Christianity. Um, and as long as we clean up the outside through self-righteous acts, then everyone will think that we're spiritual and we actually can set ourselves up, which is the, the leaders in this day, the religious leaders in the day, set themselves up in a way to say, and I'm more spiritual than you because I am doing the, look at these things that I am doing and you're not, therefore I'm more spiritual than you. Do you see the self-promotion? This is a very dangerous thing. In fact, it has captured the heart of the church for way too long. As long as I clean up the outside, and Jesus actually spoke to them about this, you whitewashed sepulchers, you spend all this time cleaning up the outside, but your inside is evil. The inside of you is like dead men's bones in there. And you're never gonna produce anything for the kingdom. In fact, you can't even get into the kingdom unless you come to a place where you understand that you are nothing. Self-promotion is gone. You are meek and humble before the Lord and you crawl to me on your knees knowing your brokenness and knowing your lostness and you cry out to me for grace and you cry out to me for mercy. Then a work in your heart will happen and when that work in your heart happens and it will transform your mind and transform your motivation for doing the righteous acts and being obedient to me, then I can use you, and then your righteous acts will mean something. Does that make sense? Amen. Actually, Jesus isn't teaching us to control our Christianity. He's teaching our, us to let our Christianity control us. And what we're learning touches the deep places of our hearts. Uh, being a true Christian means that there can be no veneer. There can be no facade. There can be no superficiality in true Christianity. I, I read this, and I love it. You could put this on a poster. By now, you should have a lot of posters hanging around in your house for you and your children to look at every day. But here's one. A Christian is something before he does something. That is so good, you guys. God has never been interested in sacrificial acts, and I'll hear me, unless there is behind those acts a heart of righteousness. In fact, if your heart is not right and you're coming to church today offering up your praise, offering up your sacrifice, giving God your tithes and your offerings, if your heart is wicked in those things or if your heart is not right before God, all of that stuff, God just says, I don't want to have any, I don't want you to do that. Stop it. It happened in his people Israel. In the book of Amos, we're told this, that, um, where am I? God says to his people in Amos, he says, stop with all the pretense. Don't look, don't look at that yet. That's not there yet, okay? Stop with all the pretense. Stop with all your superficial festivals. They were doing all these things and they were doing all the things that they were told that they had to do and trying to obey all the laws that were bestowed upon them. Enough of the sacrifices, he said. Enough of the empty praise music, all of your worship that you're bringing. Your hearts aren't right. Now look at the verse, Amos 5, 24. What I want is I want to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteousness. If your heart isn't right, 
God's message to you is stop pretending that everything's okay. Stop the sacrifices, stop the worship, stop all the things until you get your heart right with me because unless your heart is right, all of that stuff is a lie. Wow. This is what Jesus is after, what we're talking about right now. He's always working on the motives of our hearts inside that produce the acts of righteousness on the outside. <laughs> and you might be saying right now, you keep harping on this, Phil. I know, because it's important. I've lived in the church my whole life. I've lived in a Baptist church my whole life. And I have seen the ebb and flow of legalism my whole life. Do you know how many stories I can tell you of the most righteous people who are doing some of the most base, de horrible, deplorable things and yet they come to church and they've cleaned up the outside but they're doing total wickedness behind the scenes because their heart isn't right with God. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's, when he's talking to us. We take a turn today in our pursuit of kingdom living. And let me explain what I mean by that. So we have been, um, we've been working on the first four Beatitudes, and they have been entirely inward focused. What we're gonna start to do now, though, is we're going to look at the next four Beatitudes and see that they are the manifestation. So the first four were our hearts, what's going on in our hearts, and the second four are the manifestation of how people live who have had this work done in their hearts. And they actually go hand in hand. They, they, they line up perfectly. Let me show you this. Um, so they're gonna put this on the screen. The poor in spirit are the merciful. So those who are poor in spirit, they realize that they are spiritually bankrupt beggars, right? We talked about that. And they're willing to give to those bankrupt beggars around them. Therefore, they become merciful. So the poor in spirit are the merciful, and those two line up together. The second is that the mourner is the mourner. The mourner is broken over his sinfulness and will wash his heart pure because of his brokenness, therefore becoming the pure in heart. So the mourner is the pure in heart that we're going to be working on next week. The meek in their humility will have a heart to always seek peace because of their meekness. Therefore, they become the peacemakers. And then those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness will be those who are persecuted for the very righteousness that they were hungry and thirsty for. So therefore, the hungry and thirsty become the persecuted. So right now, today, we're taking the turn. Jesus takes a turn and begins teaching us how the inward transformation that we have already come through that gained us entrance into the kingdom and how we're supposed, the mindset that we're supposed to have, how that actually translates into shining our light for others to see our good works before our Father in heaven and draw them to our Father in heaven. Got it? <laughs> Some of you are like, not sure. Okay, well, I'm gonna help you with that over the next several weeks, okay? So let's get going. If you're ready to go, Matthew 5, 7. This is what we're working on today. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And I've got one big question overarching everything today, and that is, am I merciful? And you might be like, yeah, I've been wanting to talk to you about that, Phil. Or, um, are you serious? I am so glad Frank is here today. 
or I am so glad that my wife is sitting next to me to hear this today. Or I can't wait for this, Phil. I've been waiting for this. This is awesome. I'm going to post this and I'm going to share this to so-and-so, 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 so-and-so who really needs to grow in mercy. Okay, stop it. If that's you, okay, and that's what you're thinking, just stop it right now because that is not what the Lord requires of you today and wants from you today. The Lord wants wants you and me to ask ourselves the question, am I merciful? Well, we're gonna do four questions and I gotta fly, okay? So we got four questions we're gonna work on and answer to help us answer the question, am I merciful? The first one is, what is mercy? So mercy is this, it is compassion in action. That's what mercy is. Well, I've heard a different definition of mercy, Phil. I've heard mercy is not giving somebody something they deserve. It is mercy also. But what we're gonna be studying today and what's in the heart and mind of Jesus is that mercy is compassion in action. I will show you that. And what that means is anything you do that is a benefit to anyone in need, emphasis on anyone. In fact, look at how Webster defines mercy. It is this, compassion shown to anyone, now get this, don't miss this, especially to an offender. You can actually put enemy there. Especially to an enemy or to one subject to one's power. And we're gonna touch on that enemy part later. But let's go after this mercy is compassion in action. So mercy goes way beyond just feeling sorry for someone. Mercy goes way beyond just sympathizing with someone or um, with having empathy for someone. Mercy actually, if you are merciful, it actually launches you into action because of your compassion, because of your sympathy, and because of your empathy. It's genuine compassion with a pure, unselfish motive to reach out and help that person in need, get this now, no matter who the person is. Let that sink in for a minute. You know, Jesus is always asking us to do the hard thing, not just the easy thing. It's easy to be merciful to someone you like. Right? It's Holy Spirit to be merciful to someone you don't like. That's all I'm gonna say about that right now. That's what mercy is, compassion in action. Question number two, where does mercy come from? Oh, I know, I know, pick me. Thank you, I have the answer. I'm merciful to people. So I'm told I need to be merciful Compassion in action, so I get after it and I become merciful to people. And if I'm merciful, then I will get mercy. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yes or no? Vote by raise your hand. Yes? No. Where's the rest of you? <laughs> you don't want to commit. You don't want to commit. Listen to, listen to me, okay? Mercy comes from God. Period. You can't gin mercy up. It's not natural. It's not, it's not a human attribute. It's a divine attribute. Look at Ephesians 
God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Can I just stop there for a second? Outside of our relationship with the Lord, before we come to the Lord, all of our righteousness, we've talked about already, is what? Filthy rags, okay? So there is no, you can't have a righteousness of your own. There is no righteousness of your own. And you don't have the ability to be merciful the way that Jesus is asking you to be merciful. You don't have it within you to gin up mercy because you're dead in your trespasses and in your sins. You're dead to the things of God. No, I'm not. I was raised in church my whole life. Okay, so were these people. They're part of the religious thing that is happening. But until you come to a place where you're poor in spirit and you humble yourself in meekness and you repent of your sin and realize that I can't do this on my own, you're gonna continue to be lost and not be able to produce anything for the kingdom. Mercy comes from God. It's a divine attribute. It's not a human attribute. It originated from him. In fact, you could say it this way. Look at your notes here, fill this in. Mercy comes from mercy. Mercy doesn't come from you saying, I'm gonna be merciful. Mercy comes from mercy, which is a gift from God. You can't stir it up in your heart or apply it to your will, your will to it. It, it is God's gift and it is only found among those who have become the recipients of God's mercy. Are you tracking with me? It's only available to those who have already gone through the first four Beatitudes. It's only available to the poor in spirit who mourn their sins and stand meek before the Lord in repentance and who hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And when through humble repentance, God declares us righteous by his mercy, then and only then can we be merciful. Let me put it to you this way. Some have actually tried to use this verse, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy as a way to earn their salvation. In fact, there are religions today that teach this, that Jesus said, if you are merciful and you can figure out how to be merciful, then God will be merciful to you and he'll, he'll put his mercy on you. He'll gift you with his mercy. But he's waiting on us to be merciful. If you're waiting on you to initiate mercy, then you have a problem with God. Because the way of God is quite the opposite of that. You don't get mercy for merit. If you get mercy for merit, and you think that you can earn mercy, then it ceases to be mercy. Does that make sense? No? You can't earn mercy, otherwise it's not mercy. See, you are bankrupt, and you need a merciful God to come in and say, I'm not going to punish you with the punishment that you deserve for your sin. Instead, because of my great love that I have for you, I'm going to send my son Jesus. And because of my mercy and grace and my great love for you, I'm going to give you my son to die for you 
even while you were still dead in your sins. Did somebody just say praise the Lord? You need to say that louder. You need, thank you. You need to be an example of praise to the Lord whenever we hit a nerve like that, when we hit a divine nerve like that. Because where would we be if we were still trying to figure this thing out? Where would we be if it was determined upon us? If we had to come up with a certain amount of mercy in order to receive mercy, where would you be? You'd be merciless. Because you can't come from, it doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And mercy comes from mercy. You don't get, you can't earn this stuff. God gives us mercy when we humbly come to him in broken repentance. And as we are merciful, this is the cycle. As we are merciful because we have received mercy, then God gives us more mercy. And this is how it works. But if, you, if, you're still, if you're still thinking that I've got to earn my way into God's favor, I really hope the Holy Spirit will convict you otherwise and convince you otherwise. Because you're trying to come to God on your terms and not on his terms. Question number three. What does mercy look like? I could show you, I could go to all kinds of stories about it, but there's, there's no need for us to look any farther than Jesus himself. So I want to take you on a little Jesus tour and let you see from Jesus' own life what mercy looks like, okay? So Jesus came into the world and, and actually was the most merciful human being that has ever lived. Jesus came into the world and he never did anything to benefit himself. And he never did anything to hurt anyone. We know that as we read the scriptures that he reached out to the sick and he healed them. He gave the crippled new legs and they walked because he had a compassion, a heart for compassion. He saw their need. He gave eyes to the blind so that they can see. He gave new ears to the deaf so that they could hear. He put words in the mouths of the mute so that they could speak. He found prostitutes and tax collectors. He found the morally destitute, and he found those that um, were deceived by the schemes of the devil, and he took them into his inner circle, and he loved them, and he redeemed them. The Bible says that he wept with those who were in anguish, and he had compassion on those who were lost. Like I said earlier, he actually uh, gathered little children in his arms of protection, and he loved them. But I'm gonna put on the screen Luke 7, 11, because this is an amazing picture of mercy. So Jesus, in Luke 7, 11, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. So you see the picture, right? Jesus is going into this village. Now, what you don't know, we're gonna know later, is that he doesn't know anybody in this village. He's just coming with his disciples. They're coming through Nain, and he's got a big group of followers. And verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as they went in as he approached the village gate. The young man who died, this is the funeral for, 
was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Now remember, Jesus knows all things. And so what, what his disciples didn't know that Jesus knew was that this woman was not only a widow, she had already lost her husband, but now she had lost her only son. And his heart overflowed with compassion, and he says, don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin, and he touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. This is totally different than when he came into Bethany and the death of Lazarus' friend. You remember that story? Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. He enters the village. They're weeping. Jesus is weeping because he's so sad. His heart is filled with love, and his, he's, he's got the pain that comes, and it's accompanied with the death of a loved one. And he walks in, and he says, I'm going to take care of this. And, and, he, and, he, and his own sorrow and the sorrow of the people that he loves, he, Lazarus, come out. And he raises Lazarus. What a day that would have been, okay? But this is not what's happening here. Jesus is not connected to these people. They didn't come and ask for him. He isn't there with compassion for them because he loves them because he's known them his whole life. These are complete strangers to him. But he saw the need. And when the Lord saw her, his heart was filled with compassion and he performs this miracle. I tell you, get up. And he raises this, this lady's son from the dead and gives him back to his mother. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see that? What a celebration there would have been in that family. And they would have turned around and be like, where's that, where's that guy that just raised him up? This is what mercy looks like. You see it again in John chapter 8. You'll remember this story. There was this religious elite who... How this happened, we don't know. You can speculate on all kinds of things. They caught this woman in adultery, in the act of adultery. And this is so classic. Um, they drag her into the middle of the street to have her condemned. But what's interesting is, like, you can't have adultery by yourself. And so, but the interesting thing is that they caught her in adultery, but they didn't drag the man out there. So you don't have them dragging this couple into the street and saying, they need to be stoned, they were caught in the act of adultery. Now that was the law of the land back then. But it's interesting that just the woman was dragged out here. Jesus sees all of this that's going on. And after confronting her accusers, he turns to this woman who's guilty. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she goes, they're not, they're gone. Because they had dropped their stones, remember? And they, he said, those of you who have never committed a sin, you cast the first stone. Remember that? She says, I don't know where they've gone. They've all left. And he goes, well, neither do I condemn you. And this is what he says to her. Go and stop your sinning. Can you see mercy in action? What did she deserve according to the law? Death, stoning, but so did the guy. This is what Jesus is all about. It's seeing us in our brokenness and offering us salvation. Compassion 
in action. This is what mercy looks like. Never has there been a human being to ever live in mercy like Jesus. And yet, heartbreakingly, Jesus didn't receive mercy from those that he came to freely give his mercy. They hated him for his merciful acts. I I can't get my head around that. I don't understand that at all. All Jesus did was come and do good, but what what he did is he shined the light on their hypocrisy, on their legalistic religion that turned into the way that the people were to live. And they were being deceived into thinking that somehow they could come up, they could gin up mercy, they could gin up a pure heart, they can gin up peacemaking, they can gin up all these things in order to earn their way to heaven. And this is the devil, this is what the devil wants people to believe. And so Jesus is confronting it and giving them a new message, just like this message here in Matthew chapter five. And they hated him for it because he shined the light on their hypocrisy. They sent him to a cross where in spite of their murderous hatred, it was the cross that was needed to perfect his mercy for those who need it the most, and that is sinners like you and me. Paul tells us that because of his great love for us, he died a criminal's death on a cross. And John tells us in 1 John 2, 2, that he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. I love that old hymn when speaking about the cross and and the Mount Calvary, where it said, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There, my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. That's what mercy looks like. Sacrificially giving your life and giving your resources and giving your help to anyone. Are you listening? To anyone, even those of your murderous enemies. And it comes from a heart of love and a heart of compassion. Which brings us to question number four. Am I merciful? Good question. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna show you a picture of this. So this is Luke chapter 10 you're going to. So one day, I'm giving you the build up to the story, an expert in Jewish law, okay? So this Jewish lawyer, right? He, he knows the law backwards and frontwards. He comes to Jesus with a question, and this is the question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus asks him, well, what did the law of Moses say? You're an expert in the law. What does the law of Moses say? And this is what he replied. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Got that one figured out. Can't you just hear him, a student of the law, can't you just hear him saying, oh, I learned that in Sunday school. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. They've got it down. They know exactly what to say. That's how religious elite are. That's how the, the... are you okay? 
Am I like too hard on the, on legalism here? Legalism is an enemy of the kingdom. Legalism is a tool that Satan has used for centuries in the church to make you feel like you're doing something righteous, but it's a self-righteousness, and it's not truly of God. And this is what he's dealing with, okay, this teacher of the law. This guy had it down. He knew exactly what to say. He spit it right out. No hesitation. That's easy. Give me a hard one. Correct, Jesus says. Now, go and live like this. And he tells this story, this parable. Remember, a parable is a story that Jesus makes up. It's an earthly story that gives you a heavenly perspective. It gives you a truth about the kingdom, a truth about heaven, okay? So though it's a story, it's real, okay? The, the meaning, the, what, the illustration, what we're trying to get from it is real. So he tells them this to illustrate. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, who was this man? Verse one, he was a Jew. Keep that in your mind, okay? He was a Jew coming down from Jerusalem. By chance, a priest came along. Now, who's the priest? This is the priest of the Jewish religion, okay? So this is one of the high up dudes. Um, this is like the lead pastor, okay? So the, the priest comes by, he's Jewish. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, now your Bible might say a Levite, this is like a worship leader, okay? So now you've got the lead pastor and you've got the worship leader, okay? He walks over and he looks at him lying there, so he walks over and looks at him, he sees him, but he also passes by on the other side, does nothing about it. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and badinaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him into the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, this is Jesus taking a pause, and he's asking a question from the story. Now, which of these three would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? The man replied, listen to the reply. The one who showed him, what's the word? Mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, that's the right answer. Now go and live like that. That's the story. Now this story has four dimensions. Now remember, we're in the point of am I merciful? So I want you to ask yourself the question, can you see yourself? Actually ask yourself this question, who do you most relate to in this story? Honestly, ask yourself that question. But this story has four dimensions. Mercy is shown in four different ways. The first is this, mercy has eyes to see. This Samaritan says, saw the man and actually saw his distress. Do you remember the Levite? Okay, so both the priest and the Levite they actually saw the man too, but they weren't moved to do anything. Remember, the mercy is compassion in action. 
And they might have felt bad that this dude is laying there half naked and dead, you know, almost dead on the road, but they don't do anything about it. But mercy has eyes to see. He saw the man and saw his distress. And then also the second dimension is that mercy responds internally with a heart of compassion. He saw and then he was moved with compassion for the man. Do you see that? The third dimension is this. Mercy responds externally with practical help. He went over to him, he soothed his wounds, he bandaged him up, he put the man on his donkey, brought him to safety, and took care of him. So mercy has eyes to see, responds internally with compassion, and then responds externally with practical help, and here's the fourth dimension, mercy acts even when the person is the enemy. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you know why the priest and the Levite did not stop? because they didn't have mercy. Who had mercy? The Samaritan. Well, what's the big deal with that? Um, Because the half-breed, right? That's what Samaritans were. Samaritans were despised by the Jews because they intermarried and they weren't supposed to. And so you have half-Gentile, half-Jewish blood. And so they were actually considered dogs to the Jews. The Jews hated them so much that there was a place that they had to live in. And they hated them so much that they would walk around Samaria because they didn't want to go through and and rub elbows with the dreaded Samaritans. So the half-breed Jew stops to help the purebred Jew who hates him. This is... The story that Jesus made up. So, am I merciful? Do I have an eye for distress, a heart of pity? Do I make an effort to help in spite of who it is? Do I have an eye for distress that leads me to a heart of pity and compassion that leads me to helping no matter who it is? If those things are true of me, then I am merciful. If I have an issue with one of them, then I need some work. Am I merciful? Are you merciful? So Jesus made up the story, right? He could, have, he, could have, he could have made the story anything he wanted. So why did he choose to illustrate the opposite of mercy with the lead pastor and the worship pastor? I think it's because it's way too common. And it illustrates that all of us are far, there's far too many of us who are caught up in the mechanics and the religious activity with no eye to truly see the distress around us and no heart to respond in compassion and no effort to bring the relief of the gospel no matter who it is. See, Jesus is saying to us today, my kingdom people, if you're in my kingdom, they aren't takers, they're givers. They aren't condemners, 
They're not looking down their self-righteous nose at everyone else and, and condemning them and dragging the woman out into the street without dragging the man out into the street. They don't set themselves up above everyone else in the world. My kingdom people who are merciful stoop to help everyone else in the world. Jesus is saying, if you're a member of my kingdom, you will be full of mercy just like me. You'll go way beyond the sympathy and compassion and you'll put all of that into action. You'll get into the skin of another person. You'll think their thoughts and you'll feel their emotions and then you'll meet their needs in tangible ways. Mercy is when you see a man with food and then you give him food. What did I say? Let me back that up. Mercy is when you see a man without food and you just don't say, oh, I'm sorry. I wish you had food. You give him food. That's what kingdom people do. Mercy is when you see a person begging for love and you give them love. Mercy is when you see someone who's lonely and you give them the gift of your presence. Mercy is meeting the need, not just feeling the need. And the merciful are those who reach out and give, not those who grab and take. I need help. I'm actually a little low today. I wish I had time and I don't. I'm kind of glad I don't have time to tell you multiple stories this week that just highlighted my lack of mercy. And the message to me is You're not being like Jesus if you're not putting your compassion into action. If you're not getting into the hearts and minds of the people that you're serving and doing something practical to meet their need because mercy is compassion in action. And I need to grow in mercy. In fact, may God help us all be able to rise above the corrupt culture that tells us to get everything that we can get and hear the voice of Jesus today who tells us to give everything we can give. Blessed are the merciful. Stand with me and let's pray. So, um, on purpose today, I'm talking to you as you have your heads bowed and you're just kind of pondering all that you've just heard. Um, 
not a lot of joking around, not a lot of funny stories or anything like that today because this stuff is so serious, especially those of us who might, might be caught up in the whole legalistic earning my way to heaven package. It's very common in the church and has been. And I just want to say to you that if you've been caught up in trying to earn your way, earn your salvation, and you would have been the type that would say, um, well, yeah, as long as I begin to be merciful. So if I just go out and do a bunch of nice things for people, then God will be merciful to me and I can get saved completely backwards thinking. And if you've been caught in that, maybe you're, not maybe, you're here today to hear this message that you're thinking the wrong way about your salvation. And if you need the Lord today, if you need a reboot on your thinking, your religious thinking, um, we wanna help you with that. We wanna help set you free, actually, from the chains that the law requires of you that you cannot fulfill. It is only by the grace and mercy of the Lord that you can be saved from your sins. You can't do anything to set yourself free from the bondage of sin. I wanna help you with that if you need salvation today. If you're visiting with us online and you need this, reach out to us right now. You can click on a tab that will take you right to our prayer team. We wanna pray with you, but we also wanna help you make sure you understand what salvation is all about. The days are coming to an end swiftly. We're getting closer to the end. And if you need salvation, today is the day of salvation. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm not making that up. I'm not saying that. Today is the day of salvation for you. Come to Jesus today. But Lord, we all need your help to be more like you, Lord Jesus to be full of mercy. We're, aren't we thankful that you did not just see our need and say, well, I hope they can figure it out or pat us on the head and say, I'm really sorry that you're going through this and then walk away. You showed us, you showed us the example when you walked into that little town and you saw the broken heart of that widowed mother and you moved with compassion and you raised her son. That's a picture of what you do in our hearts where you see our need and you know that we're lost and you know we're helpless. We cannot, we're so broken because of sin, we cannot do anything about our condition and in mercy, you moved to provide a way of salvation. You gave your life, and then you sent your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to see it, and to draw our hearts to you, and to humble our hearts before you in repentance. We're so thankful. Help us to be merciful like that, Lord. Give us a heart of that. And as we go out today, help us see immediately, maybe on our way out right now with someone in the building, we'll be able to start 
putting our compassion to action and being merciful. Bless us in our doing of that, Lord, and strengthen us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Give somebody a love, a hug or handshake or something on your way out and share your love with them.